a modest inquiry whether regeneration or justification has the precedency in order of nature by thomas halliburton this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org 1 the question is whether justification which comprises absolution from guilt forgiveness of sin and gratuitous acceptation of our persons doth in order of nature precede the renovation of our natures by the spirit of christ the implantation of supernatural habits of grace a principle of life or the new creature or on the other hand are elect sinners first renewed regenerated and furnished with a principle of life which being excited through the influence of the spirit of life accepts of christ in the offer of the gospel whereon justification follows in the same instant of time yet as consequent in order of nature. 2. Difficulties stated on either hand. If regeneration is said to precede justification, then the ensuing difficulties offer. 1. How is it consistent with the wisdom and righteousness of God to impart his image to a sinner yet under the curse? This respects God's act and seems to fix an incongruity on him. 2. How can it be conceived that a soul yet under wrath and the curse is dignified with the image of God? This seems to be inconsistent if we look at the things themselves, and that order which their nature leads to. 3. Does not this make the object of justification to be a holy, renewed saint, and not an ungodly sinner, according to Romans 4.5? 4. How can the soul be partaker of spiritual life before its union with Christ, the fountain of life? Union is by faith, by which we come to Christ for life, but this renders it needless because we have life before union. 5. Does not this make the collation of the Spirit antecedent to union and faith? And yet by faith we receive the Spirit. Galatians 3.14 does not this suppose the heart to be purified before faith, while yet it is purified by faith? Acts 15.9 7. Is not the new creature begot by the immortal seed of the word? Now can the word operate any other way than by the interveniency of faith receiving it? If, on the other hand, justification is said to precede, the difficulties are many, which I need not stand to repeat at length, only... 1. How will this accord with the doctrine of the Reformed churches and divines that harmoniously teach the contrary? And how does it agree with our confession and catechisms, which we sign and assent to, particularly where they treat of effectual calling? 2. How can we conceive the acts of life where there is no abiding principle whence they should proceed? The acts of faith without the spirit of faith. 3. How can we understand an unrenewed soul to be the subject of this noblest act of faith that unites to Christ, and by which we are justified? I speak of it objectively, and interested in Him and His benefits. 4. Whereas there are many actings in all the faculties implied in justifying faith, it may be inquired how can it be understood that the whole soul in all its powers should thus, before it is renewed, harmoniously and uniformly go out toward the Lord, assenting to the record concerning Him, choosing, approving, and resting in Him. 5. Can the best of fruit be produced without a root? These and many such difficulties, commonly enough known and alleged, must be insisted on, but I think it needless. These may serve for a specimen.
3. A scheme of principles exhibited for the vindication of the commonly received opinion, viz., that though they are agreed on all hands to be at one and the same time, yet regeneration in order of nature precedes justification. Problem 1. First, a design being laid in the decree of God to save elect sinners to the praise of grace by Jesus Christ, they were in the covenant of redemption given to the Son. The law of works by an act of sovereignty was relaxed, not as to its obligation simply, but in so far as it respected man himself as the subject of the obligation to doing or suffering. Nor was the law simply relaxed as it obliged man, even elect sinners, to do or obey, but in so far as it obliged them to obey in order to exemption from the curse and a title to life. And he to whom elect sinners were thus given, by the designation of the Father and his own consent, was substituted in the room of elect sinners, and thereby came under an obligation in their stead to answer the demands of the law as to what it required of them in order to avoid its curse, and entitled to the promised blessings, or shortly he became obliged to fulfil its demands, as it was a covenant in their stead. Moreover, he undertook as mediator by the price of his blood to purchase complete redemption for them, and all things belonging necessarily to it. Correction. My design requires not a nice stating of the foregoing truths generally owned amongst the Orthodox, only I observe that, from all this, the purpose of the Father, his giving elect sinners to Christ, his substitution of them in their room, and the Son's acceptation, some relation betwixt him and them doth result, which may as fitly be designed by the name of a union as any other word or name I know to assign. It is granted that this is not that complete mystical union whereby we are actually grafted into him as branches into the tree, whether it shall be called a legal or federal, fundamental or fountain union, as our divines differently term it. I am not concerned, yet certain it is that such a relation there is, and that it is the fountain of all subsequent advantages to the elect. Second, this relaxation of the law as to the original subject of its obligation, in so far as it was the condition of the covenant of works, substitution of Christ and his voluntary subjection to that obligation, etc., being all in the purpose of God and transactions of the Father and Son to the covenant of redemption, expressly and directly designed for them who were given of the Father. It follows plainly that, immediately upon Christ's yielding of the satisfaction demanded, paying the price or his engagement, for that is equivalent where the undertaker could not, nor would fail, there did result a right for them to freedom from the curse and to all the benefits of his purchase. This right is not what the lawyers call jus in re, but jus ad rem. It is more properly said there is a right for them than they have a right, since they know not of it. It is not actionable by them, nor is it actually vested in their person. Yet with God it is righteous, that they for whom justice is satisfied, a price paid, redemption is purchased, etc., should at the time, and in the order agreed on, be put in actual possession of those privileges. The use of this will appear in due time. The foundation of this assertion lies in this plain scripture truth, viz., that though the ultimate design of all is the glory of the adorable trinity, yet the principal, subordinate, proper, and immediate design of Father and Son in the undertaking, exhibition of Christ in the flesh, his obedience and death, under all considerations of it, as a satisfaction, atonement, price, and ransom, 
was not to obtain liberty for the father without injury to his justice to bestow or a right to the son to redemption and the benefits of it that he might bestow them on whom and on what terms he saw meet but the salvation of sinners and the redemption of persons the whole not only includes a remote respect to sinners but the salvation of persons being designed the designation of christ to the work of redemption etc his whole mediatory office and his undertaking and execution of it primarily aimed at the salvation of sinners it was not the impetration of the effects absolutely but the salvation of lost sinners by them that was primarily in view this is plain from the consideration that the whole of the mediation of christ was pursuant to the purpose of god with respect to the salvation of sinners the scripture speaks not of the absolute procurement of these things but it constantly includes a direct respect to sinners to their personal advantage the father sent the son came to save them that were lost our sins were laid on him he was made a curse for us that we might be made the righteousness of god in him he was made lord of the dead and the living or which is the same had power given him over all flesh that he might give eternal life to as many as were given him of the father in a word they whoever they were for whom christ died of which we dispute not now being in the design and all being for them with a direct and immediate respect to their advantage a right there must result for them this is opposed by universalists because it undermines the foundation of their whole fabric viz that the effect wherein the death of christ as a satisfaction ransom or price did terminate was the procurement of the things or impetration of them and not the advantage of persons by the application of them but this must not make us forego what the whole tenor of the scripture uniformly bears witness to the charge of antinomianism will be answered by the next proposition third pardon absolution from guilt and all those saving blessings christ purchased sub termino that is it was agreed in the contract whereby christ was constituted surety and mediator that those blessings should be actually given out to each of them for whom they were designed respectively in their several generations in the season and order prefixed by god to the praise of his glorious grace correction hence we see that the elect can lay no claim to anything on account of christ's satisfactional purchase but at the time and in the order agreed on and therefore till then in themselves they are in no better case than others correction hence also we learn the true reason of this that they for whom satisfaction is made a ransom paid etc do yet continue under the curse or wrath of god as well as others it is not because christ paid not the idem the same in specie or kind that was due from sinners as baxter fondly supposes but the true reason is that all these privileges being contrived and provided by a concert betwixt the father and son without the sinner's knowledge or any contribution of counsel performance or consent it did belong to them who had brought about all this by the best of rights to give out at what time or in what order they pleased the good things designed which was accordingly fixed in the covenant of redemption all being adjusted as to order and time fourth christ jesus the mediator immediately upon the performance of what was demanded of him was fully discharged in so far as he stood himself obliged and to him as trustee appointed by the father and head of those given to him for whom he gave his life a ransom the management of that right purchased for them by his blood and confirmed also thereby to them and that which 
till the time of their actual investiture is lodged in the hand of the righteousness and faithfulness of god the management of this right i say for their behoof was wholly committed to him and access allowed him at the respective terms agreed on to sue it out claim and demand the outgivings of the privileges and the investing of the persons with the actual right to them in the order agreed on and in due season to make the claim crave this at the hand of the righteousness and faithfulness of god is the design of his intercession or appearing in the holiest with his own blood which is the ground of his claim this trust and province he faithfully manages the faithful advocate never fails in due season to put in his claim correction this discharge of our debt to our surety though it is not our justification properly and strictly so called yet our divines charnock witsius etc do not unfitly term it our fundamental or general justification because it was for us he suffered and paid the ransom and offered this oblation the right and privileges purchased and confirmed by his death were for us and the provision made for the conveyance of this right and privileges respects us and the conveyance of right and possession is hereby absolutely secured though meanwhile in ourselves we are as before till the term agreed on come fifth when the term prefixed for the actual outgiving of privileges draws on it is so ordered that the elect soul is summoned at the instance of the justice and law of god for his violation of the law the charges enforced on his conscience god and the world's discoveries of him through the spirit's influence joining with the word assisted as judge his presence majesty justice and holiness are realized to the sinner and he stands now in this lower court at god's tribunal erected there he is beat from denials pleas extenuations shifts or evasions that he can devise whereon he stands at this lower tribunal before god self-convicted and with his mouth stopped sixth if any sentence should pass while matters stand thus it must unavoidably be a sentence of condemnation the charge is proved the libel is relevant all pleas made are repelled justly nay passed from by the panel but the term being now come the faithful advocate that will lose none of his steps in appears in the higher house where he is entered with his own blood and puts in his claim on behalf of the criminal arraigned before god's tribunal below to this purpose though not in such words if in words at all i inquire not this poor criminal was thine by creation thy prisoner by his rebellion but thou gavest him to me i bore the curse of the law due to his sins for him behold my wounds i purchased all saving blessings lo there is my blood the price of redemption the term is come i crave therefore that in consideration of what i have done and suffered he be acquitted purchased grace given out to enable him to put in his claim at the bar where he now stands personally convicted and finally that thereon he be absolved accepted and entered to orderly possession of all purchased privileges christ's appearance in the holiest for us must be allowed to import no less by any who own the orthodox doctrine as to christ's oblation and intercession and their mutual relation correction christ's intercession though it is represented as a prayer yet it is not strictly so but in so far as concerns himself it is a claim of right though as other legal claims out of a regard of the majesty of the judge it is managed in form of a prayer or what is equivalent thereto or rather it is represented in condescension to our capacity after this manner the way of transacting things in heaven betwixt the glorious judge and advocate being above our reach 
seventh this plea being made on behalf of the sinner convicted at god's tribunal below is admitted and the admission of it in what manner soever it is done imports one a reckoning of christ to the criminal or an acknowledgment that his undertaking respected this sinner now pursued by the law of god before god's tribunal on earth two an acknowledgment of the dueness or to speak more properly an acknowledgment that absolution is of right due on account of satisfaction made and all other privileges on account of the price paid three in consideration of the one and the other order is as it were given out i speak after our manner of conceiving and expressing what is above our reach for the actual putting the sinner in possession of these advantages respectively this is what dr owen calls absolution in heaven before believing and it is as it were a second step moment instant or as witsius speaks articulus of the sinner's justification but this being of great moment for clearing the difficulties above mentioned we must illustrate and confirm it observe one though this in order of nature precedes any grace in the sinner yet this regeneration believing and justification are all at one and the same instant of time two however in our way of expressing the deep things of god and for more easy conception we are obliged to think and speak of each of these as distinct acts yet we pretend not to determine the manner how these things are done and such a plea is made it is admitted and its admission imports what we have mentioned three this is no new or singular opinion many of our old divines have gone further in their expressions but what we have pleaded for is no more than the native consequence of agreed truths before laid down dr owen who was remote enough from novelties asserts this at length and defends it against baxter in his discourse on the death of christ and appendix to vindicie evangelicae and witsius in his dissertationes irenicae pleads for it for besides the confirmation given to it by the foregoing propositions unavoidably leading to this we may add that one this is the order the scripture directs us to romans eight thirty two christ is first delivered for us then given to us then with him all other things two the giving out of the first grace viz faith in scripture is declared to be an act of righteousness two peter three three the saints are said to obtain faith through the righteousness of god but this it can no otherwise be but in consideration of the right obtained by christ and as it proceeds upon an antecedent admission of that on their behalf which is all that is intended again three it is expressly asserted that it is given us on the behalf of christ to believe philippians one twenty nine or for his sake now this imports that god in giving it has a regard to what christ has done for them and that he thereon gives it out as what is of right due on consideration of that and this is all that is intended for how comes the grace of faith for example to be given to peter and not to judas for christ's sake is it not that god looks upon christ as standing under another relation to peter than to judas and what is this but to reckon him to the one and not to the other dr owen adds that perhaps this may be what is intended by the justification of the ungodly romans four five but as he is not peremptory so neither shall i be five yet i say this is not justification of the sinner though it is a step to it and issues in it and that one because it is not at least ordinarily so called in scripture two this is a sentence passed it is true by god but not in the court where the sinner stands personally arraigned 
three this act terminates not on the sinner in itself it goes no further than as it were to speak after our manner a warrant for the outgiving of grace to put the sinner in case to make his plea where he now stands convicted the sinner is as before till this is executed which is at the very same instant i confess correction this reckoning of christ to us makes as it were a second step or advance toward that complete union designed eighth this act being passed in his favour who now trembles at the bar knowing nothing of it is instantly executed the spirit of christ takes possession creates a principle of grace in the soul and in the wise and exact providence of god christ in the promise is held forth as the ordinance of god for the salvation of sinners and particularly as the propitiation the poor sinner himself through the enlightening enlivening and quickening influence of the same spirit in that very instant closes with and accepts christ as his righteousness ninth hereon immediately god the judge acquits the impanelled sinner sisted before him personally and receives him into favour only on account of christ and his righteousness imputed to him the nature of which is properly called justification we need not inquire into it being commonly discoursed of tenth this justification properly so called differs vastly from that absolution in heaven formerly mentioned for one the former act did not reach the sinner himself but now the sinner is personally acquitted by an act of god terminating in the sinner's conscience for two in this sentence the plea of justice and law against the sinner managed in his conscience is declared void and let fall for ever so that none ever can again by warrant from god insist against the justified sinner upon that charge to the disturbance of his peace or his conscience or his condemnation i deny not that a litigious accuser of the brethren and with him his informed conscience may abuse this to give the poor creature trouble but three in this sentence and by it there is a claimable defence that justly may and instantly should be taken hold of and pleaded for the relief of the conscience against all disturbances of this nature and this with the former clears what is meant by terminated in conscience four the sinner by this has immediate access to peace with god and his favour though sometimes he cannot at first recover so soon out of the fright his former condition casts him in as immediately to use it five this act as any one may see is an act passed here on earth though by god immediately and directly respecting the sinner himself sisted before god as above whereas all former acts reached not himself personally but did terminate on christ our head and advocate for the behoof of sinners eleventh by the foregoing propositions it appears that though the complete mystical union betwixt christ and elect sinners is not before faith yet there are several sorts of unions before it and each of them attended with its own special use and influence nor is there any danger of antinomianism here the most zealous opposers of antinomians grant all that i advance dr williams in particular asserts all that i design most expressly and our divines say the same one christ and they are one in the decree which yet infers nothing says witsius but that in time they shall be actually united two they are one federally or as others express it legally by virtue of the covenant of redemption wherein christ is constituted head of the elect and surety substitute in their stead which yet infers no present alteration to their state but leaves them as before until in the order agreed on in that transaction they are brought out of it three they are one in nature christ taking part with the children herein that he might redeem them being our near kinsmen 
for they are one really though upon their part only passively when the spirit of christ in his name takes possession of and unites them to christ there are two bonds of union the spirit on the part of christ and faith on ours union must begin on his part and his taking hold of us is the cause of our taking hold of him and so must be in order of nature before these things are not contested and yet are of chief use in the business at hand twelfth it is likewise apparent from what has been discoursed that the sinner's discharge advances by steps some of which do precede faith there is that fundamental or general justification as charnock and witsius call it when christ was discharged this is in time antecedent to justification two there is that absolution in heaven which we have clearly and confirmed above this is not in time but in order of nature only antecedent to faith three there is justification strictly and properly so called which immediately follows faith fourth the principles more largely laid down explained and confirmed above more briefly summed up and offered in a joint view that their influence into the resolution of the above-mentioned difficulties may more clearly appear proposition one christ jesus in the covenant of redemption was substituted and did substitute himself head surety and mediator for those given to him of the father obliging thereby himself to make satisfaction to justice in their stead and purchase complete redemption for them by his bearing the curse for them to purchase to them all saving blessings proposition two immediately upon his performance or engagement equivalent to performance a right for those given to him to all these blessings did result that is it became righteous with god to give under the restriction just now to be mentioned a right to and possession of all those things procured for them by the satisfaction oblation and price of redemption above mentioned proposition three all these things were purchased sub termino that is to be actually given out to the persons concerned at a time and in an order agreed on betwixt father and son who were the contrivers and managers of this whole matter proposition four immediately upon performance of what he obliged himself to christ was discharged as to his own obligation and actually instated in the possession of what was promised himself the right purchased for sinners being lodged safely in the hand of the righteousness and faithfulness of god action was allowed him as their head and trustee for their actual investiture with right to the possession of all in the time and order agreed on proposition five when this term approaches the sinner on earth by a summons at the instance of injured justice is assisted before the tribunal of god here below where god is presented to him in his majesty and holiness as judge by the word and spirit and here before god he is charged convicted and his mouth stopped proposition six the lord jesus christ the vigilant and faithful advocate knowing fully the poor sinner's case viz that he is now on earth arraigned before god's tribunal and duly convicted there and that he cannot orderly be discharged but upon a plea wherein he is really and actually interested and his interest evinced before the judge in that court where he now stands personally assisted the blessed advocate knowing i say this to be the case and that term being now come he moves his action in the holiest in the court before the same judge on behalf of the sinner where he is entered with his own blood proposition seven this action is admitted his plea sustained and sentence passes thereon which issues not first or immediately in the sinner's discharge but only in what is preparatory thereto viz the present outgiving of what is necessary to instate the sinner in an actual and actionable plea 
and enable him to put in an orderly claim for a discharge where he is now arraigned that is the sending of the spirit to work regeneration and thereby enable him to accept christ freely in the gospel by faith by which being united to christ his righteousness becomes pleadable and is presented the sustaining of christ's action in the higher court is that which we call absolution in heaven which has been explained and confirmed above proposition eight christ's action being sustained in the higher court though it does not of itself liberate the sinner immediately yet the advantage of this sentence in christ's favour for the sinner's behoof is that one the curse of the law cannot be alleged against the outgiving and actual collation of the spirit of grace or faith in particular this being instructed that christ has borne it for the panel two these things being demanded and a price paid for them they instantly are ordered for the sinner as what cannot of right be denied in consideration of the plea now made in due time three immediately hereon the holy spirit in christ's name executes this takes possession enables to believe and makes the poor sinner believe working faith in principle and act and by this mystical union begun by the spirit's entrance is now completed by faith's closing with christ and making him its plea proposition nine immediately hereon god justifies the sinner by an act terminating on his conscience or on him personally considered freeing him all righteous pursuit upon the charge now alleged constituting him free and accepting him into favour allowing him to plead this acquaintance against all accusations romans eight thirty three and thirty four fifth application of the foregoing principles for removing of the above-mentioned objections and other things suggested to the same purpose if the satisfaction of the mind in a full clearing of the difficulties had not been aimed at short answers without such a process might have served most of them but the way now being prepared we shall directly answer them objection one how is it consistent with the wisdom and righteousness of god to give out his spirit stamp his image on a sinner yet under the curse for it is manifest that in the sight of god the sinner is still to be considered as such until he be justified answer one those of the opposite opinion at least such of them as we have principally in view are burdened with the same difficulties the act of justifying faith being an effect of special grace wrought in the soul of a sinner antecedently in ordine considerationis or nature to justification the same difficulty may be moved about the one as the other how comes god to send his spirit to work faith in a sinner yet under the curse two admitting what has been said above as to the claim put in by the blessed intercessor and god's admittance of it there is no difficulty at all in the business to conceive that god granting himself satisfied as to the criminal's sins admitting a price of redemption paid for all saving blessings in consideration of that satisfaction and that price made and paid and the benefit of it orderly claimed in due season gives out what is at present necessary for instating him in the actual right to full and personal absolution god hereon giving out those privileges looks on the sinner indeed as yet under the curse but withal as for whom that curse was born and to whom he is by virtue of his transaction with christ who was made a curse for him obliged to collate what was purchased in order to his personal or plenary discharge objection two it is alleged that this is contrary to that order that the very nature of things directs to that a sinner yet under the curse should be stamped with the image of god or that one dignified with his image should be under the curse 
first wrath would be removed a right given and then privileges this order the nature of things directs to answer one there were some difficulties here if matters stood so for some time but both being at the same instant it is scarce worth while to debate it two allowing it absurd to imagine that one under the curse simply should be dignified with the image of god yet it is not so that a sinner for whom satisfaction is made and admitted as above and this privilege purchased should be thus dignified in order to enable him to put in at that very instant a claim to a personal and plenary discharge three the first result of christ's death being the satisfaction of justice for our offences according to our way of conceiving the order of things is sufficiently hereby secured inasmuch as there is no blessing imparted but upon satisfaction first made and a price paid as to the order of the investiture of the persons with right and possessing the persons of the privileges we must allow god to be the best judge objection three this makes the object of god's justifying act to be not an ungodly sinner but a renewed saint contrary to romans four five and consequently the offer of remission is to saints and not to sinners this being insisted on by some we shall consider it the more largely answer one it is observable in scripture that no man is termed righteous or unrighteous godly or ungodly merely on account of habitual righteousness these denominations always respect acts he that doth righteousness is righteous now the person at the instant of justification is one all whose former actings have been ungodly and who antecedently to his justification has not done any works of righteousness two this expression being here used with respect to justification it must be taken in that sense that relates to the business in hand and he is to be deemed ungodly who has no godliness that the judge can admit in judgment as a ground of justification in the eye of the law he is ungodly have what he will and as to this business here then and in a law sense he is ungodly having no plea but standing convict with his mouth stopped three according to the above-mentioned scheme he can have no eye to anything in himself as contributing to his justification either habitual or actual for one habitual grace is not discernible in itself but only in its actings two there is no act of grace previous in any instant of time to justifying faith and three at that very instant he is justified whence it is evident that he can discern no grace in himself till he is justified and so can lay no stress on any for it is hence evident that faith is the outgoing of the soul of a poor sinner convicted of his own ungodliness that sees nothing in himself but sin and guilt after christ for righteousness and who is fully satisfied that if god enter into judgment with him upon his own ungodliness he has none at all no acts of righteousness that can be admitted much less a complete righteousness yea on the contrary he is all guilt sin and defilement five nor can the judge in justification have regard to it were he to proceed upon habitual holiness this would not pass according to the rule the renovation being but in part and for acts the sinner has none so if sentence should pass upon him with respect to this the judge could not avoid to condemn him he must legally find him ungodly and as such condemn him six i may add when god is said to justify the ungodly this justifying is not restricted to one precise action all agree it takes in the imputation of christ and his righteousness and not merely the act of acquittance thereon 
which the sound of the word seems to import. Take it in this latitude, as I see no reason why we may not, and then the first instance of the imputation of Christ, as we have heard above, is in order of nature, before either faith or regeneration, as we have cleared above, though formal imputation and justification is consequent hereto. 7. From all this it is evident that this account leaves no room to ministers to insinuate to their people that they must not adventure by faith to betake themselves to Christ's righteousness till they see such and such qualifications in themselves, regeneration, repentance, or the like, which is the danger that the movers of this objection seem very apprehensive of, and to avoid which some of them have used expressions obnoxious enough to misconstruction. The minister dealing with the convinced sinner is not to bid him look inward to see whether he be regenerated and truly repents, and if he finds not these, not to expect justification or go to Christ for it. Such an inquiry before justification is vain and preposterous, and it is impossible ever to believe on these terms. But he is with the apostle, Acts 16, directly to press, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and on the other hand the sinner, like that poor jailer, without any such previous inquiry for qualifications in himself, should directly cling to Christ for righteousness as one altogether lost in himself and destitute of any qualifications that can avail him. And yet all this is without prejudice to ministers pressing conversion, repentance, and faith at the same time as Scripture precepts and examples require, and that without troubling themselves or people, with the disputes about the priority or posterity of these in order of nature, while it is agreed they are all at the same time. Hundreds have successfully preached the gospel, and many more received it, without ever concerning themselves in these questions. Objection 4. How can the soul be partaker of spiritual life before its union with Christ, the fountain of life? Union is by faith, by which we come to Christ for life, but the order asserted renders this errand needless, because we have life before union. Answer. 1. We have before cleared that there are several kinds of union before complete mystical union, and as to this orthodox divines, the most zealous opposers of antinomianism not accepted, do agree, and each of these unions are attended with special advantageous influences with respect to the elect. 2. To answer more clearly, this passive union, as we called it above, flowing from the Spirit of Christ, its taking possession and working a vital principle, must, in order of nature, precede all acts of ours. Union must begin on his part. The first uniting act belongs to the living principle. The Spirit enters into the body and actuates it, and the body, by life derived from the Spirit, cleaves again to the soul. Just so, Christ the head, by his Spirit, first actuates the dead sinner, and he thus, enlivened by this derived life, cleaves unto Christ again. 3. It is hence evident that it has no life but upon Christ's account and what is derived from him. 4. It actively receives no life till by faith it is engrafted in him and comes to him. 5. Upon the sinner's coming to Christ he receives the life of justification. He that is absolved, especially when in himself he deserved to die, receives his life as he that is condemned loses his. 6. By faith we receive the life of sanctification, and that in a twofold sense, first by our closing with Christ or coming to him, and the view that the soul then gets of him, the principle of life formed in the soul, gets life, is quickened, enlivened, and graces are put into action. Till this view is got, all lies as it were dead. 
also second by the continued exercise of faith the increases and daily supplies of grace are conveyed for carrying on the life of sanctification thus it is betwixt the vine stock and ingrafted branch the stock sends up quickening influences to the graft the branch thus enlivened first cleaves to the stock and then the union being completed and all conveyances opened life in abundance is sent from the root whereby it sends forth leaves flowers and fruit each in their place and season seven the life of comfort is holy by faith and this is the life of life there is no comfort but by faith eight eternal life in right and possession are by faith and this is sufficient to remove this difficulty objection five does not this make the collation of the spirit antecedent to faith and yet it is by faith we receive the spirit galatians three fourteen answer one the spirit is received passively or improperly in order to build us up a meet habitation lively temples etc and we being thus prepared he is actively by faith received as an inhabitant to dwell in us and act in us as occasion requires two they who choose the other side of the question must allow that the spirit is given to work faith and so fall under their own argument objection six does not this teach that the heart is purified before faith contrary to acts fifteen nine that tells us that the heart is purified by faith answer one faith itself is as dr owen well observes a principal part of the restored image of god and so of our purity what the objectors answer to this may be applied to the other parts of the same image two what the spirit of god begins in renovation is progressively carried on by the exercise of faith drawing purifying virtue from christ and this is the intent of the text objection seven is not the new creature begot by the immortal seed of the word or are we not born again of incorruptible seed by the word of god which liveth and abideth for ever one peter one twenty three now how can the word have any effect without the interveniency of faith it does not profit but as it is renewed by faith therefore faith must be antecedent to the new nature answer one not to take any advantage from the additional clause fixing the sense of the word here mentioned i ask since faith comes by hearing the word of god romans ten and the word can have no influence but by faith must not faith be before faith the argument is the same two the plain intent of such words in both cases mentioned and the like is that while in the gospel dispensation the word is objectively proposed and the mind conversant about it the spirit of the lord using it as the instrument means or channel of his influences works faith begets or forms the new creature end of a modest inquiry whether regeneration or justification has the precedency in order of nature by thomas halliburton